Listen, man. Hello and welcome to the Blitz Book Club podcast, where our community of bookworms will bring to you our thoughts on all things books. My name is Cheryl Till, and in this episode, we are going to share with you our thoughts on some bargain books from Big W. To start, I would like to acknowledge the Bidigal and Gadigal peoples of the Eora Nation and the Ngunnawal people, whose land on which UNSW resides. I pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging, and pay my respects to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people listening along with us today. This is, was and always will be Aboriginal land. I'm joined today by... Um, I'm Ariana, um, previous uh, participant of the podcast. I've been absent for a while, but I'm returning now and I'm very excited. And I am Henry and I am back again. Nice to see everyone here. So what books have you guys been reading? I got this book a while ago. Um, It's one book, so, uh, but with two stories condensed into it. So it looks like this. So, okay, I don't know, it's not even being visually recorded, so I don't know what I'm doing. Um, For the podcast listeners, it looks like... (laughs) It looks like this weird, like, classical kind of book, okay? A very thick one, yeah. Yeah, it looks really good, doesn't it? It looks so promising. (laughs) Um, Don't let that, you know, foreshadow what I'm about to say, but it's by Catherine Tinley, and it's called A Gentle Persuasion, and it's basically two classical historical stories condensed into one book and I only read one story um, but they are kind of linked in a way that some characters are in either story Um, and you know what like we just mentioned it seemed like it seemed like a good choice I felt very trusting of it I saw it and I was like you know what this is something you know how like um, Penguin or um, Harper Collins or something they do like special editions for their classics I feel like this would like look like one of those however it is probably one of the most shallow um, kind of horribly written um, just useless kind of book um, So the one I chose to read was the second story called The Captain's Disgraced Lady. And I'll just read the small little thing because I don't know how to summarize this at all. But it goes, when Juliana Milford first encounters Captain uh, Harry Fanton, she finds him arrogant. (laughs) So it's just so, okay. So when Juliana Milford first encounters Captain Harry Fanton, she finds him arrogant and rude. There's no way she'll fall for his dazzling smile. (laughs) exclamation point her visit to Chadcombe house was always going to prompt questions over her scandalous family so she's touched when harry defends her reputation she's discovering there's more to harry than she'd first thought okay so it is a romance this entire book um are, are romantic uh, romance novels uh, sorry romance stories um and basically i don't really have anything good to say about this book (laughs) and I know the last time I appeared on this podcast I also didn't have much nice things to say about the book I was reading but I feel like that's the substance I can bring to this podcast it's the negative reviews so I'll give a brief overview first so in general I thought the book to be quite shallow the writing was very very basic and in terms of kind of its historical narrative that it follows I feel as though the knowledge 
um, in, in terms of context of the environment and of the dialogue and things like that was also very shallow. It's very like surface level knowledge. And it sounds like, you know, this, this author kind of just, you know, watched Bridgerton and then kind of took whatever kind of dialogue or a very kind of under-researched book basically yeah, exactly yeah. right and I felt like just the dialogue and the words were just so surface level and it just didn't go in and didn't give you like that Jane Austen kind of feel which I feel like it it tried to replicate um so it basically follows this uh girl Juliana Milford who gives me Emma vibes she's very um strong willed she's very um she's quite arrogant as well um, very independent and um, in in terms of her context she's just kind of one of those women that um, isn't afraid to stand her ground which I don't have a problem with usually in books however the way Juliana was portrayed and written in this book was so annoying and the best way I can put it is like she was written like a Karen so the author desperately tried to like she was like like pulling out nothing like trying to pull a situation out of nothing for Juliana to kind of reprise that role as oh, no I have rights and things like that whereas there's really nothing for her to be mad about if you know what I mean like when she, is it set um I would I would say like the 18th or 17th century I don't know it never it never says Oh, 1814, so uh, 19th century. So it's a time when you really wouldn't expect women to be talking about their rights at all, really. Exactly. But, like, she she kind of just, like, the author desperately tries to put together a situation where Juliana can be like, how dare he talk to me like that kind of thing, where what he said was, quite frankly, casual and not intrusive at all or not offensive at all actually um so at first already in the first five chapters there was such a reach for her to be this independent woman character where like there really was no ground for her to be um to really be that kind of girl like you, you I feel like authors can write characters like that beautifully and seamlessly and effortlessly and portray through like their actual actions and the problems that they face what kind of woman um their character is but in this in this case Juliana was just like it was too she tried too hard to make her seem like that type of woman um in terms of Captain Harry Fenton I was um kind of attracted to this part of the book because of the captain kind of tropes and things like that I thought it'd be really interesting to kind of see that enemies to lovers kind of trope was not it was not achieved in the slightest Captain Harry Fenton was actually quite a lovely guy um, and really didn't do anything to provoke as the, the word provoke is constantly used in this story to provoke Juliana um, and that that just goes to like add on to my point in Juliana just being mad for no reason um, and I feel like the romance was quite uh, shallow as well there really wasn't any substance to it you can tell it was a culmination of really popular romance tropes that this author kind of just threw together and hoped for the best and she added that historical kind of fiction uh, element to it which you know usually would kind of enrich those kind of you know there's a kind of an element of trashiness to historical fictions especially when it's romances that 
kind of make it ad- like admirable in a way like it's like oh it's like that's the that's the genre of it that's like that's the beauty of it um and like it it's still written in a way where you can kind of um like uh be satisfied by it or still like like it but this one it was just so I feel like if it like a year 12 student could write this and get a band two like on the story like it's so so basic but I that's basically what it is there are examples but I won't go into it because I feel like I'll just continuously ramble with it but the last thing I want to say is the transition between enemies to lovers in this was also the flick of a switch which I hate and I'm sure every other reader who likes that trope would hate as well it was Juliana hates the captain for things that he really like it was not even couldn't could never provoke someone unless you're quite easily irritated so she would she would hate him and then she would like just look at him and then be like wow he's quite charming actually and all of a sudden like she's falling in love with him so it's it's really really just it's it it was kind of heartbreaking to to read how horribly written it was um and I mean the thickness of the book like yes it's two stories but if you divide that in like you still have time to flesh out that kind of romance so as as nice as the cover looks and as nice as it may seem to be inside are just words that form basic sentences that have no deeper meaning or never really connect you to the characters and all the tropes that she attempted to kind of achieve um or kind of write nicely or you know they they just they weren't executed properly so I'm really disappointed but that's the book that I painstakingly read (laughs) sounds a bit like someone kind of you know read a spark notes of Jane Austen and then wrote a fan fiction following just like a very poor understanding of what historical fiction is that is the perfect you literally just summarized my entire five minute rant in a beautiful sentence that's literally what it is it was a spark note summary of a Jane Austen novel was were there any winning qualities at all like how did you power through the book was it sheer will or was it were you holding out for something well you know what usually in in those type of books there would be an element that would help me out but I think I I mean my resilience as a reader I think the one thing that really got me through this is the fact and only the fact that I as a reader have to finish every book that I start so it really was nothing in the book that got me to finish it um I sometimes lots of like these characters would have like redemption arcs I feel like in in these kind of books like the girl kind of just turns out to be you know she just comes to her senses in a way um but no like Juliana was just like there was no sense to any of her actions or her reactions to to Captain Harry um and it was just like no grounds for her to be angry like I'll give you one example like um her mother was feeling ill and so like she goes into this saloon and she's already so rude to like the pub master or whatever you call it and um she's like no one else it should be in this saloon this massive saloon for her mother that just feels quite faint and then Captain Harry Fanton comes in 
And she's like, how dare he? Absolutely. He makes my blood boil. God. And like, do you know what I mean? It's just like, it's like trying to pick up nothing to give her a reason to be mad and to make Captain Harry Phantom look like a douche. But it's not. It's a saloon. It's a pub. Like, if you really want privacy, hire out a room, okay? Like, you can't do that, especially when you're not a native. She's not even a native of the place that she's, like, visiting. So, like that, like that. So, I I powered through to see if there was any redeeming qualities, but no. (laughs) Have you read the first story as well? No. So, you can read it. They're interchangeable. Like, you can read either. Are you inclined to read that other one now? I wouldn't say I'm I'm inclined to but seeing uh, the end of the first story kind of makes an appearance in the beginning of the second story and seeing how that romance has kind of panned out just from like the few sentences like it was um, mentioned in it seems quite wholesome but then again like I'm not going to read 300 pages just to be disappointed again. <laughs> Fair enough, fair enough. So um, we can probably say like negative stars would not recommend to anyone. Would not recommend, especially romance readers. I know, I know that crowd and I know they will be thoroughly disappointed because I know that there's so many other better books um, that have the exact same kind of narrative, really, just different writing that are much better. So I would give it out of five stars, one, because I have. (laughs) (laughs) Feels generous. Just one? Just one. And like, let me mention the, f- the last episode that I did with you guys. I also picked up a big W book and there were redeeming qualities to it. Like it was a thrilling story that I, I did finish, not because I had to finish, but because I wanted to. Um, and it was good. It was, it was, you know, quite enjoyable to say the least. This, nah, <laughs> I can't. It's absolutely one star. I could give it none if I like, really wanted there was a reason it was in the bargain section basically 100 percent, exactly right so that is my experience with Catherine Tinley's a gentle persuasion rip-off name of those classic authors so persuasion but a gentle one (laughs) yeah there we go well thanks for sharing that um Henry what have you been reading hi so um the book I read recently was called um in the Dust of the Land by J.H. Fletcher. I bought it from Big W for $10. And um, I must say, the plot line, I mean, the plot was amazing. I mean, it had redeeming qualities. However, what really um, made the book, like, for me, I give it out of five, one. Because um, the writing was amazing. The way she described the, the setting out back Australia, the way she, like, the, the description of the imagery was amazing. It was refreshing to read. However, the plot line, she introduced too many characters that each chapter was like a new character. And the book was 600 pages and it had over like 40 chapters. So each chapter was like a new brand new character. So the protagonist didn't really get any like depth to it, any, any like redeeming qualities or anything. So like we don't even like the protagonist doesn't even feel like the protagonist. And the plot line revolves around um, the protagonist. Um, she owns a mining company in Outback, Australia, and someone is trying to like sabotage her company and is trying to like bring her down. So each chapter introduces a new character, a possible suspect, making us think it may be her daughter-in-law 
her um, boyfriend. But but then in the end, the ending pissed me off because um, the ending turns out it's no one at all. It's like a random character that they, that they all for in, which really like pissed me off a lot. So, you know, it's just like, she had this like amazing imagery and stuff, but that's it. That's it, the, the plot line falls flat. Just like basically, you know how people end their stories, like it was always a dream, like that kind of thing. So that was really, that just really made me upset. So even with all that like decent writing and good imagery you're describing, that's not enough to push it up above one star. Like it's another bad review all out. Like the plot is just that bad. Yeah, because um, like I mean, like you, we all do creative. Like we've all written stories before, and we we learned that like you know how you need to like you need to have like show enough depth for your character and for your story. You can't introduce too many characters that you know everything becomes convoluted. And she did that. She she introduced so many characters, so so many characters. What was the book called? In the Dust of the Land by J H Lecture. You know, let me say one thing about Australian fiction. I feel like it's mostly hit or miss. Okay, I personally do not like Australian environments in my books it's something of like a complete turnoff to me and I'm not quite sure why I feel like one aspect of it is okay I'm reading because I would like to escape to something completely different and something I don't like I, I can't experience necessarily or um is like out of reach at this current present like in the current moment in time so I feel like that's also one thing but another thing is Australia of course has you know, history that could be used really well in like narratives and, and novels like this. But using like the outback, I feel like, I don't know if you, like Cheryl in high school, you had to do like a Australian novel kind of thing. We had to do Trent Dalton and it was the most just a horrible time of my life trying to get through this 300 page novel of this kind of young boy going to Outback Australia to learn manners basically um so I feel like yeah with Australian fiction it can usually be hit or miss um because of but I, I feel like it's mainly um kind of focusing on the Outback aspect of it I feel like it's usually just it's always just I completely agree with you though right like there's something about when you have an Australian author so yeah you're right uh, uh one on one hand you also have this kind of like you know it's just describing what's outside right like we're trying to escape when we're reading this is something that's expected something that everybody knows so it's just like uninteresting but I totally agree on the outback thing it seems to be overused and kind of under-researched at the same time even from local authors yeah I 100% agree because I I, I mean I don't want to make um assumptions and judgments but lots of the people that I've met who are actually from rural areas are loaded and they're like they come from incredibly like wealthy families great families you know hard-working families businesses and you know they come to Sydney or like kind of like mainland cities to pursue their education a bit further and they have these amazing stories that I'm like this could be you know it could be it could make an incredible novel and um usually they're always like studying 
you know, incredible things as well. So that's just something from my personal experience. I've met people from rural Australia and like even the outback that do come from very interesting backgrounds. And I feel like the way outback Australia is conveyed in novels is so two-dimensional and it's so like stereotypical in a way. It's like postcard Australia, um, red dirt, dogs, sheep, cattle, which yeah, it can, it, it is lots of the time, but I feel like there's there's other dimensions of rural Australia that could be explored, but that's yeah. the one thing that authors always run with. It's kind of like stuck in the 1960s kind of, you know, with this assumption that people who live in the outback are, you know, these kind of exotic people who can't, you know, live a normal urban life because yeah. they're so secluded and it's gone to this extreme really I mean I don't know Henry if you found this with the book that you read as well yeah I do um and speaking of the um as you guys were talking about the Outback Australia the book actually reminds me of the other book that we were going to do um, the try like the the whole like that whole mystery thing really reminded me of the try but however the try did it 10 times better yeah, I agree. Like it's it's always <clears throat> I mean like everything I've read most of the time. And you know what? Another thing I've read, usually lots of the Australian based books I've read, um a ma- majority of them are based in the outback. Like authors tend to I mean, I can't like I haven't read every Australian based novel, but there's only been a couple out of the few that I've read that have actually been based in Sydney or Melbourne or it's usually just Sydney or Melbourne, actually. Um, so, I mean, I'm really, I'm really excited to read the dry, and I'm anticipating it quite a lot, actually, because I haven't experienced or read a novel based in Australia that's actually quite compelling. Um, but I've heard great things about it, so hopefully, can achieve. I mean, hopefully, you know, meets my standards. Um, but yeah just something about Australian novels it's just so like do better like you know like when you read stories about New York or like I don't even anywhere else I don't know why New York was the only thing that could come to my head but you know cities around the world Seattle kind of like like Toronto like they all have this they they encapsulate and um are really able to illustrate the atmosphere of those cities really really well um even like cities like Washington or like things like that I feel like in literature it's it's so greatly communicated and illustrated for the readers but in Australian fiction it's just always depressing to me so yeah no I mean I have to agree with you right like the last this just so happens the last five books that I've read have all been set in Oxford um three of them were part of a trilogy so that's kind of understandable and then we had um the dictionary of lost words which was about the creation of the oxford english dictionary which we've previously discussed on this podcast which is also by an australian author but i found it brilliant because it did not describe australia at all it was this exotic different place and having been to oxford it's like quite an accurate description of the place as well and then um, A Beautiful Circumstance by Sarah Newton-Brown, who we've also had on the podcast to discuss her book. She she kind of captures that UK atmosphere very well, where you can kind of feel like you're there. It doesn't feel, I don't know, fake in any way, kind of like, 
like you said, the postcard version of the world, right? Yeah, I 100% agree with everything you just said, especially with the whole UK thing. I think one selling point for most books, if I'm reading a blurb in a bookstore and it's and it mentions Oxford or London, like that is old, like instantly something that gets me hooked because in my previous experiences of reading those kind of books, they've created this incredible atmosphere of those cities that not only like is true to fact, make like most of the time and, you know, is an accurate depiction of those cities, but it also ties into the themes of the book, if you know what I mean. Like usually when you read books that are set in Oxford, there's kind of like this darker kind of colder kind of element to the book if you know what I mean and it's something that I really enjoy and like that just ties to the weather to the people to the historical kind of and the heritage kind of buildings in like those cities that you know people just know and love by just by reading it um and it's become like a trope just to you know for a lack of a better term that I've been really um attracted to in in books especially like in dark academia kind of um books and novels and things like that that's it's a selling point for sure so if they can achieve that with Australian cities whether it's rural or kind of urban life and things like that I mean that's like that's commendable but I feel like as Australians (laughs) with shared opinions on this I'm not sure if we'll ever kind of love that but at the same time if they if they can achieve that that's great and I hope we're on that trajectory (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it kind of makes me wonder because like you said, all these other books that kind of have this really clear feeling attached to the location, we find them to be mostly, like you said, New York, Oxford, London, they're cities that are packed full of stuff. And our cities, even when it's set in Sydney or Melbourne, like they're relatively spread out by comparison. So I wonder if that's part of the thing. Although at the same time, when you have a complete fantasy world that's spread out, it seems to work. So there's something missing there. We, as readers, encourage writers to do better, but, you know, (laughs) we'll see how it goes. Yeah, anyway, um, to counter both of your negative reviews, I have actually picked up a book that I quite enjoyed, so that is a refreshing change. It is called Night Flyers, and it is by George R.R. Martin, which I thought was an absolute steal for $3, especially considering that has it has this little stick on it that tells you it's been made into a Netflix series. So, you know, that's usually a winning quality, right? And I was quite interested to read it because so the, the blurb basically says it's about the crew of the starship Night Flyer, which is heading into the outer reaches of known space in search of a legendary alien race known as the Vulcran. And I just thought that would be really interesting to read because... I've read Game of Thrones, all five books and the spin-offs and everything. And, you know, I think that George R. R. Martin has a good grasp of that kind of fantasy world. Ice Dragon, which he did, which is also kind of to do with fantasy, although not part of the Game of Thrones universe, is also quite comprehensive, even for a short book. So I was interested to see how he'd pull it off with sci-fi instead. And it's quite different, maybe because it's written in the 80s, which I think you know, was possibly before he refined his uh, excessive description. So it's very light on description. And it's only 165 pages, which I liked as well, because it's quite a quick read. I read the whole thing in a day. So that's always a winning quality for books for me, because if you can knock it out 
it just there's something so satisfying about it you know but at the same time even though it's good with all those things the plot is really really simple like the blurb basically sums it up they go on a spaceship they go through space and they're looking for this alien race that is the entire story for 165 pages that is basically all that happens there's a bit of a strange unexpected resolution at the end which you know I, I still don't know if I like it or not I leave it up to whoever else reads it to decide it was a bit kind of weird to me but you know yeah it's just strange <laughs> um but the thing that really really got me about this like the one thing that I did not like which when I fin first finished reading the book I thought you know this is a solid four out of five stars you know a little bit simple so it knocks one star off. Now I think back on it, I'm like, it's a three out of five. And what's taken it down is again, similar to Henry's book, there are way too many characters, right? There are like 10 characters which are introduced on the first page and it's only 165 pages. Like that is very, very little space to build any character singular, let alone 10 characters in such a short amount of time and it was just like really, really confusing. I do honestly believe that in his mind, he had some idea of who these people were. They didn't read as being two dimensional, but everything was very, very simple. Like, I don't know how to explain it. Like there's one part, it's like, Lummy Thorne slid back the metallic fabric of her left sleeve, pushed her wrist beneath the console, found the prongs, jacked herself in interface ecstasy great but i'm so confused like what does that mean he just assumes that you know what he's talking about i think like basically he was basically saying like she was the it girl and you know she basically was one with the computer like she had modifications so she can plug herself into the system and you know it's going full sci-fi on that end but it is so confusing in the way it's written he doesn't take the time to flesh it out because he's just thought about it so well in his head he's like it's fine i've got it you're gonna get it too. And that like took it down for me because there's just something there that was missing. To be fair, I do believe this is the first in a series of books. I think that there are a bunch of others, although I cannot confirm because I couldn't be bothered to look it up. Having read this one, I thought that was enough. Um, so, you know, he might build on it. I don't know. But yeah, it's just kind of, it's kind of strange because it's not a book you would expect this particular author to have written. The genre is different. The style of writing is different. The plot is like so simple as compared to his overly complex, twisted imaginings and very well-known Game of Thrones. Yeah, it's just, it's like a, I've stepped into an alternate universe where he was just like this mediocre bargain author. I mean, it's a good book, especially for $3, I'll give it that. And given that you can read it in a day, it doesn't feel like a waste of time. So it's definitely like cold, rainy day or out at the beach, you could knock it out. It would be fine. But yeah, that's that's my contribution. <laughs> it sounds so like it sounds like it's both under like underdeveloped and obviously underwhelmed. Like it sounds like George R. R. Martin was like trying to find his niche at this point in time and was like dipping his toes into like every kind of genre to kind of figure out what's um, what's best for him. But it's it's weird to me that one, he could write like a 165 page book and two, like not have that 
meaningful descriptive writing and I totally agree with you in terms of I hate it when authors just pile on words in a sentence for one for one action to the point and extent where the meaning is the meaning is completely diminished like it's I kind of felt that in some of the books you kind of like see it in some classical books but I also think that's a testament to their time and how they actually compose their sentences and the language that they kind of had but in modern day books and contemporary books when authors just get so descriptive with their writing it's tiring and it's like I think like even I've I've heard tutors say this at uni you know in high school like you learn to write academically and apparently academically means you know the longer the word you know thesaurus kind of route to writing but they kind of like show not tell right which they pile on at every turn yeah and then as soon as you're in uni like all your tutors have to be like okay unlearn all of that this sentence is so wordy just say what you're trying to say and get to the point because I'm sick of you using all this like extensive language that if I ask you what it means you probably can't even answer it you know so I the same goes for narratives like there's no harm in in being simplistic with your writing and I feel like if you're an as an author if you can be simplistic with your writing and still convey the same message as you could with that like excessively descriptive writing then like you're doing your job properly just like that like you're being a decent author so, I mean, I think there's a time and place for it, right? Like, I agree. A lot of contemporary writing doesn't have that description, and it is tiring and overwhelming sometimes. But at the same point, like, sometimes you need it. Like, in fantasy and historical fiction, in moderation, it is helpful to building the story world. Yeah. This one lacked it entirely, and that's where I'm kind of like, it needed some. But yeah, it can also be a bit too tedious if it goes the other end. It's like every sentence has been expanded to the furthest extent just to like pad the word count basically yeah and I think because it's also a sci-fi it's like a sci-fi right yeah it's like sci-fi you like you want to have that kind of um you want to be able to envision what you're reading so yeah I agree with you in that sense but um yeah that whole just chunky read out I was like it gave me I just I couldn't (laughs) I can't even articulate what I was feeling it was so too much too much (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think because it's also not just sci-fi as in futuristic, but like literally set in space, right? And he's talking about like the outer reaches of space that are unknown. So he's made up all these planets that we've never heard of. I was flipping through the book, looking for one of his classic maps so that I could understand it better. And there was nothing there. There was no description to kind of help you situate yourself and understand like I'm like you're just floating right like all I'm picturing is a spaceship floating in blackness and that's all I've got in mind because I've got no idea what you're on about do you think if he re if he wrote a book now with kind of the same concept do you think it would be better considering the success of Game of Thrones and things like that I mean it depends what you mean by better right I mean at I still like it. I don't hate it. Like it is still a good review for me. It's three out of four, three out of five now, four out of five to begin with. I kind of took it down once I had time to think about it. And you do take it with a pinch of salt because you're like, yeah, it was written 40 years ago before he really made it big. However, when I consider how he writes now, I don't know that it would be better. Like if he'd written it maybe 20 years ago, I would think 
it would be better. That was kind of when he was at his prime. A lot of his work now, though, goes the other end, where someone's probably given him, him this feedback and said, it's too simple. Like, we don't know what you're talking about. And now he's just like, description, describe everything, even when you don't need to. Like, everything is overcomplicated. There are 1,000 characters. You don't know who the protagonist is. They all get killed off anyway. So, I mean, I'm not sure it would actually improve the story if it was written in that fashion today. So I don't know. I can't say it would be better. It might be a whole different kind of bad, but yeah. Well, three out of five stars is still quite a high rating. That's like an average. That's that's still pretty good. That's what I give most of the books I read and enjoy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, three out of five is very low because I generally do not read books that have less than four stars as a rating, right? I'm like, I'm not going to waste my time on this. I'm only going for things I know I will enjoy. And if by the first chapter, I don't like it, like that's gone. So do you like as a reader, like before you go ahead and read the book, do you like go out of your way to look at the ratings first and like see what people have said about it? Only if it's an investment right if it's like you know going to be a trilogy or a series with like five ten books whatever then yes you know I will have a look just to know what it's like otherwise it's very hard to tell right because I kind of fall into this trap the one thing you're not supposed to do I entirely pick books based on the cover <laughs> I judge them entirely based on the cover I feel like most um, people do that. I'm not gonna I do that too yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know, there's something about it where I'm like, if it has a good cover, someone's invested enough money into it to think <laughs> that like we're gonna get proper art because this is gonna be a good enough book. And so far it has not failed me. So I usually do end up like doing a quick Goodreads search to check the rating and stuff. But yeah, mostly four and above stars out of five. Um, that's where I sit generally. So yeah. That's good. <laughs> good to know about you yeah it's kind of the opposite you're like gotta finish the book I'm just like if it's not if it's not flying like it's gonna sit there for years and it's never gonna get finished that's I that's fair as well I've had that kind of inclination towards books um but I think it's more of a like a I don't know it's an internal thing I was like no I can't leave it on like especially because I don't I'm very much against personally as a reader who like through the mediums I like to read my books I don't like audiobooks and I don't like ebooks even though I do have a kindle I just have never really used it I've read books on it but I prefer to read them hard copy like like an actual physical copy um because I just like it and so I feel like it's more of like that satisfaction of finishing a book that I paid money for because I it's sitting on my shelf just as you said um but yeah I think going back to what you said I feel this is definitely going into the donate bin um I don't think I'm gonna read the first story if I'm being honest considering all the other great to be read books on my shelf right now I this is bumped all the way down to to my um on my to be read so probably going in the donate bin um and it's a big w book so it's not really like I spent 22 dimmix dollars on it um it was a good like seven I'm pretty sure so and like you can always tell by the publishing company like who has heard of quills like what is quills like that's just it's just a sign but 
yeah that's just my thoughts on it yeah yeah fair enough I mean yeah it's hard to tell whether or not a book's actually going to be book- good enough to read rather when you're investing in buying the paperback or hardcover copy um I do fall into that trap of like when I'm buying books you know wanting to read it because I have paid for it so there's a element of guilt when you don't finish and then you end up being like I'm just going to read the same three authors because I can trust them and you know not expand that little circle I mean yeah library books they're the ones where you really kind of you know if it doesn't hit it just goes and that's fine there's no guilt involved if you can read fast enough for um the library renewal period which is yeah, I, usually a challenge I'm like I think you're quite a quick reader just from what I've gathered but I'm I am the slow like for this book I had to read one paragraph maybe at least six times over again just because I just couldn't comprehend it for some reason um so I'm a very very slow reader but that being said I do pick up details that people usually don't remember um but yes I agree library go support your local libraries especially after this COVID time of struggle, go support your local libraries. Um, yeah, I agree with you. And it's just like a, it's a win-win situation. If you don't love it, then it goes back on the shelf for someone to later on read it and realize that they don't love it either. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's one of those complicated things, right? Where it's hard to recommend a book to anyone because here we are trashing these books, being people who do read quite often. I mean, I wouldn't particularly say I'm a very fast reader, maybe only because I choose books that I'm very invested in and can't put, put down. Um, but, you know, when you have someone who's short on time, just trying to find a book, it's hard to uh, recommend one <laughs> in that sense. So it entirely depends on your reading style. If you decide skimming is for you, I applaud you. I could not do that because I have this fear of missing out and I have to read every single word. Um, but yeah, yeah, it depends how you feel about it. Yeah, that's so true. Um, yeah, I completely agree with you. But I feel like skimming is just an entirely, oh my God, how are you like, re- like retaining any information? But you know what? All power to you. If you can do that, and still come and like, you know, contribute a really good kind of argument to like a book club or like a debate or something that is so amazing. And I wish I had that skill, so. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, if skimming's not for you, reading's probably not for you entirely. Like you don't like to read closely, you don't like to skim, it's not for you entirely. Um, Just go see the Netflix adaptations. They tend to be all right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But like going back to, sorry, just quickly, going back to what you said about like trying to find a book that's good and um, like for like people that don't really have that much time, I feel like there there is like also a, um, I don't want to say a shortage because if I'm being honest, I don't read that many books in a year. I try to as much as I can and like how many books I buy probably would, you know, suggest otherwise, but I promise I don't read all those books in a year. Um, I feel like there's, for me, there's like a shortage of like 165 page books that are actually captivating and that, you know, you'll be completely satisfied with putting down after reading them and being like, that was an incredible story, you know? And it's only happened to me a couple of times where 
have been able to read a book in a day or even less and be absolutely infatuated with the plot and the characters and things like that. So the more of those I find, like those are instantly the ones I recommend, usually more than series that I'm absolutely in love with. It, it, I'll usually gravitate towards those kind of books between 100 and 300 pages that you can read in like a day or two that are just as captivating as an entire series. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, that's the thing, right? Because a lot of things now are series or trash. It's kind of like those are the two categories and it's a struggle to find single books that are actually really well thought out because you have such little space to explore them. So yeah, I mean, anyone listening along, um, one day reads that you can recommend, we will yeah. take them. <laughs> Standalones, not everything. I'm gonna say this for movie makers as well. Not everything needs to have a sequel. Not everything needs to be a series, okay? If the book is successful, if the movie is successful on its own, just leave it alone. You don't always need, a, you know, something to follow in its path like it just leave it and I think that's so great because like there's this pain towards it like I, I don't know I don't remember what book it was but I read I read one book oh I think it was The Wrath and the Dawn that I believe to be a standalone book I read it and it was finished and I was like you know what I wish there was a second book but you know what I'm glad that it's just one book I like where it ended it was beautiful I loved it and I just it took me some time, but I came to terms that there was only one book, only for me to realize a couple months down the road that there's a second book. And even though I was rejoiced, I was so proud of myself for coming to terms that there was only one book. And like someone was able to create a standalone that was just entirely fascinating on its own and it didn't need any kind of backing up or support or reinforcements because there's nothing more annoying. And I'm so sorry if this is some people... But I'm, it's so annoying when you're reading a book and you're like, I hate it. And then someone is like, oh no, I promise it gets better in the second book. That is such a waste of my time. I do not want to read a second book just so I can see the positives in the story. Like that's absolute bullshit to me. I'm so sorry. But like, don't tell me it gets better in the second book because I'm not buying. How can I trust? I'm going off your opinion. I mean, like, no one has time to wait until the second book also, right? Like, if you had to wait until the second book uh, before you enjoyed it, like, I don't know why you want me to waste my time reading that first book. Yeah. Like, I'm not doing, like, it's essentially research on your world building. Like, it's essentially context. Like, and I, like, one thing about Jay Kristoff's, like, Nevernight, I feel like he kind of avoided that because I feel like the series could have been a million books just by all his world building. But he avoided that in a way that people either kind of loved or hated. And it was through foot, footnotes of um, like, if, there, if he mentioned something in the world that didn't have any previous context, he would footnote it and do like a little author's note. So it kind of broke that fourth wall. Is it fourth, third wall? I don't know. So it kind of broke that wall between the readers and the, and the um, actual world. And I personally, like, I kind of liked it, but at the same time, because it broke me out of that trance of being in that, in that fantasy land of whatever he created, it kind of put me off a little bit, but that was a way to kind of exclude writing an entirely different book just to describe 
a few words from the you know language or local yeah no I mean I agree I I don't recall if this is exactly the right one so don't come after me if it's the wrong example but I believe it was Good Omens by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett right which also has footnotes because there's like a bunch of stuff that just didn't really make sense because it's quite a short book compared to what they usually write yeah I have that on my shelf right now I haven't got into it but I got it because apparently it's like the most funniest book you'll ever read um but yeah I didn't know that had footnotes in it either but yeah seeing as that that was a standalone book you know that makes I mean don't come after me if I'm wrong it might not have been that one (laughs) it's just like I'm pretty sure it was but if it wasn't like you know read the book anyway it's brilliant yeah I'm excited too but um yeah I mean like I think it's just annoying and as an author if I were if I was if I were an author and a fan came back to me and was like, oh, I had to read your third book in your series to just understand how great the story was. I'd be like, wow, that's really shit. I'm so sorry about that. Like, I'm like, that's the worst thing ever. I, I feel like that's probably the biggest insult any author or freaking reader could could really be confronted with because it's, and you know what? Actually, let me say this. I still respect people that like like that longevity in a series. I can also understand how people like having that extra context and that extra description and all the world building. I know people that absolutely are in love with that because in a way it kind of creates this, I mean, I, I feel like having that kind of world building, lots of the books that have that have massive fandoms like you can like even with Game of Thrones right how many seasons did did that span and look at its its entire fan base although I will say the seasons are terrible don't watch anything after season four it's trash and doesn't follow the books (laughs) so you know there's that but I've never watched it but like I just know how big the fan base was the following even from people that didn't read the books um like it was because it's such a fantastical packed story with so many elements that if I went into season four episode three I would understand nothing you know it's it is something that needs context so I can see why people also enjoy that because it, it takes you on a journey with the yeah. characters so I can I mean I will say there are ways to get around that because like well one thing that is usually quite a winning quality is when they have that list at the back of how all the families work so Game of Thrones has that um All Souls trilogy A Discovery of Witches has that as well like it has the maps and it has the um family trees and character lists for the chapters and things like that at the back of the book right and notes on the story world so if you are so inclined after you've put down the book and come to a natural stopping point you can go look it up without having it broken up by footnotes which is like you said one of the downsides um although it does require a little bit of effort and another thing that is usually done quite well I will say I didn't enjoy it as much the way it was done in All Souls trilogy as compared to the Outlander series which I believe was one of the best implementations of this is the character nicely gently working in who this person we've briefly seen before six books ago is right just like a little mention so such and such who was my brother-in-law and you're like oh yes 
Yes, now I know what you're talking yeah, about. Reminders, yeah. Yeah, like those little gentle reminders that don't pull you out of the story when they're gently worked in very subtly. I will say, um, yeah, Diana Gabaldon, who writes the Outlander series, she has quite mastered that. Yeah. Those are good. So there are ways around it, right? If we could have that in shorter books, that's what would make it better. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with you. And I, I what I found is that the authors that I trust the most with all their new releases and their books and stuff like that are the authors that can't, that have that skill of integrating um, characters from their previous works and placing them in the current story without having to revise an entire previous novel for you to remember what it is. And I feel like, you know what, although she gets heaps of slack for her works, I feel like I have to give it to her. Sarah J Mass does that really, really well as well. And I know heaps of people are against her. Oh, yeah, you know, I get it. I get what it. What are some of her books? Throne of Glass. Right, um, yeah. Yep. Uh, Court of Thorns and Roses and A Mist and Fury and stuff like that. So she has really successful books and she's an incredible writer um, in most in some books in most books I don't know um and obviously people people have their reasons not to like her and that's fair absolutely power to all um respectable respectable opinions sorry I'm just trying not to get cancelled um yeah but I think I have to give her the credit that she does do that quite well um but when I was trying to read Shadow and Bone after the series came Ooh, out no spoilers no spoilers I have I'm that's on my shelf that's the next I'm, book I'm gonna I'm read not going to spoil it don't worry the show is it is enjoyable but um I had the book on my shelf for a while before the book but I just realized I was like okay I should probably read it now that the show is out I this is the first book in the series by the way I tried so this is Shadow and Bone or is it Six of Crows because I've heard some people say you should read Six of Crows first um, well, I've, I will, so I've read Six of Crows and Crooked Kingdom, and I read those first. Um, I haven't finished the Shadow and Bone trilogy or series or whatever it is, um, so I can't really say. However, the show does a really, really good job of kind of integrating them both at the same time, where you don't really need context for anything, like, like introductions are all made and like there isn't like any reference to any past events. I, from what I remember, but I tried reading Shadow and Bone and um, basically, I'm not going to spoil anything, but but um, the people with powers in the book, they are named something. The Grishas, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah exactly. Um, and I had to constantly refer back to that front, like appendix of what those characters are called, even though there's only like three or four, but it's still very like it can be jarring at times when reading. So I agree with you. But at the same time, in the long run, it's what makes the book unique. So I feel like mm, if it was a yeah. reason to kind of sustain that. It's great. But it, in, in terms of Six of Crows, um, I personally like Six of Crows a bit better. Um, both of the friends I've recommended them to um, have read them, have said that they don't really like Six of Crows. So I'm not quite sure why I love it so much. I think the plotting is really great. But that's obviously probably for another another episode but um I would start with Six of Crows I think it's okay okay yeah no I mean um I I had them recommended to me by my brother who read like all seven books so that's like the trilogy and the Six of Crows um duo and then there were another two he read all of them I think in 10 days right so that was like (laughs) oh two days oh my 10 days 10 days days. that's still a very short amount of time yeah I think about that time right so that 
like gives me hope for the series like I think it's gonna be good yeah I think it's and he of- did recommend Six of Crows first so I will say like that sounds like the way to go I think what Leigh Bardugo's writing is great. I think she's so great at fleshing out her world. And um, oh, like Six of Crows, the plotting of that story. I remember I tweeted her after it and she like replied to it and I like lost my shit and I can't find the tweet anymore. But I, I mentioned about how the plotting was so great and it was so enjoyable. Um, so yeah, but I know Shadow and Bone is before Six of Crows because... Nina and Matthias meet in Shadow and Bone. And then mm, yeah. So Shadow and Bone is yet before, but I think if you read Six of Crows and then if you plan to watch the show by any chance, you go into the show kind of knowing a little bit more mm. than everyone else and it kind of, um, it gives a little bit more like interest to the characters, yeah. the crows. I mean, it might be slightly spoiled because I couldn't stop myself and I watched the whole season already anyway. But- oh. <laughs> <laughs> you're not you're not spoiling yourself in anything that is in yeah yeah I mean we'll see how it goes <laughs> your list grows every time we speak oh, you should see the pile that is accumulating on my show it's 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 bad but it's I'm yeah no I relate I relate there is an entire bookshelf just waiting for me it's the best thing though it sometimes is a bit daunting but like who what's better than a, a stack of books just waiting to be read Yes, and obviously, if you have made it with us to the end of this very long podcast, you are so interested in books, so it's definitely going to be something that you would enjoy, too, for all the people listening along. (laughs) So anyway, um, if you would like to hear us ramble on about books some more, you can tune in in the next episode where we will be discussing The Dry by Jane Harper. And until next time, thank you for listening. (laughs) 